in the racing world, there's not a lot of African-American drivers, but there's not a whole lot of like drivers with disabilities either, particularly when it comes to autism. So like from there, you know, we, we had something to where, you know, like we had something unique that we could grasp on that could give us the motivation to, you know, never give up and just keep grinding, keep working, you know, because like someday it will be possible. Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but, you know, people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. I'm Eileen Lam, an autistic author and photographer, and I co-host this podcast with Andrew Camro. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Eileen. I'm Andrew Camro, an autistic entrepreneur, co-host of this podcast, and world-renowned turtle speed racer. Uh, like the Ninja Turtles, but faster. Today, our guest is Armani Williams. Armani is a professional stock car driver. He competes in NASCAR and was diagnosed with autism at age two. Uh, As his career with NASCAR flourished, he wanted to raise awareness for autism and ensuring that other kids who maybe felt weird or out of place uh, would know that they had a place in this world. So Armani, thank you for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate y'all having me. Let's have some fun. Yeah, I'd like that. Um, so we like, have you listened to our podcast before? Uh, no. So like by the time I met Eileen just a few weeks ago, like I, I heard about this podcast that you guys were doing. And um, when um, I got word that y'all wanted to invite me on here, you know, like I, I've I wanted to jump in an opportunity to, you know, get to talk with you all. So, uh, you know, now that we're doing it tonight, uh, I'm just excited to be on, you know, it's just uh, everything with autism. It's like, I could just almost relate and just think back to, you know, how my life's been with autism, you know, and just be able to have those conversations, have those connections, you know, so it's always great. So awesome. Yeah. So we like to start off by asking each guest how they prefer to identify. So we mean autistic, Asperger's, on the spectrum, I don't care. Um, and we like to just ask also because we have a tally going to see what's the most popular. Uh, so do you have a preference? And if so, what is it? Uh, well, like I, I was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, but like I've, I've kind of liked the meaning of uh autistic you know so i kind of like to go with that so okay cool thank yeah. you you're Fair enough and uh, so speaking of uh, autism that's why we're here today um can you tell us about your autism diagnosis journey when you were diagnosed what you remember of that process if anything well i will say like you know I was diagnosed with autism at two years old. So just <laughs> even from the start, I'm not going to remember what I was doing at like two or three years old. Like I'm 23 right now. But um, I will say like there there was these experience that I was going through, especially through school, you know, like I was always like, you know, this kid that never really talked a lot, 
was kind of like, you know, the shy guy, you know, around the building, you know, just trying to like understand my surroundings, what I was dealing with, things of that nature, how I was going to handle it, things of that nature. And I think like the most important thing I wanted to get out of it, like especially going through my school years, was just being able to try and make as many friends as possible. You know, because like, you know, it, it was just it's, it was hard to just live through life being, you know, lonely and all that. Like, you know, I'm I have a great family uh, that's always been supportive and believe in me and what whatever I, I take my journey in. But, uh, you know, like I never had, um, you know, siblings uh, to start off with when I was born up until I was like 12 or 13 years old, you know, so it's just like. I was always trying to, you know, make as many connections as possible. And so like, you know, I started to get this feeling that like, you know, no matter how many kids my age that I would talk to, I could just never like be able to socialize with them or communicate with them in a way that I wanted to. And I always uh, kind of figured, you know, why exactly is that? You know, is there something weird with me? Is there something that I'm not doing right or, and all that? And like, believe me, like I'm just a kid. So like, I have absolutely no recollection that I have autism at this point. I'm thinking I'm just like, you know, this normal kid who's just, you know, different in a way, you know, like everybody else is, right? Um, but, you know, it, more and more, it just became a little bit more stressful for me, you know? And so like, I needed to know why. And so by the time I got to about like my, uh, when I was starting in middle school, you know, that's when, you know, my parents decided that it was time to get up in front of me and, uh, you know, tell me what exactly I've been dealing with. And, you know, they told me that, you know, hey, you know, uh, you have autism and that, you know, you were diagnosed at a very early age at uh, when you were two years old, you know. And so from that point, I sort of understood what I was dealing with. I understood that some of the experiences that I was going through through school years and the challenges that I felt that I was dealing with, you know, I I understood why now. And then from that point, I wanted to, you know, research. I wanted to be able to do more research on autism as much as I possibly can to understand the challenges and to understand what kind of help can I get? You know, how can I overcome these obstacles? Um, But even living through autism, you know, like, life always goes on. And at some point, I I needed to make something out of myself, you know, and, you know, one way that helped me with that was, uh, is that I, I loved cars. And I always would uh, play, get like a bunch of these Hot Wheels and Matchbox cars and just, you know, play with them at my parents' house and my grandparents' house. And, you know, that was just a way in which it kept me interested. It kept me happy because it's something that I enjoy. And then I heard about, you know, something called NASCAR. And I felt, you know what, this is even cool. I got to check this out. And so, you know, after watching my first NASCAR race on TV, I, I, I was hooked. And from there on, I wanted to watch NASCAR every single week. And that love became a passion. It, it was a way for me to not even think about autism that much and my limitations and understand that like, hey, you know, this racing stuff is not only that I love that I'm passionate about, like this is something that I need to get involved in. This is something that, you know, I want to grow up uh, doing, you know? And so I, I think told that's my dad, really like 
No, I mean, that's really awesome. That's a good example of like one of the strengths of autism, right, is having a special interest, having something you love to do, right? You know, sometimes that's seen as, uh, you know, a negative. Sometimes maybe it can be, but for the most part, you know, should be, you know, encouraged. I do have a question that you were mentioning earlier. Um, and that was, so when your parents told you about autism, right, and that you were autistic, I think that's something... Can you share how they did it? Anything you liked or appreciated or and anything maybe that wish had been done differently? Um, I was diagnosed as an adult. Eileen was diagnosed as an adult. We didn't have our parents tell us that we were. But I, I think that's something where, you know, it's a it's a hard subject, I mean, to bring up or to mention. So do you have any tips for, you know, maybe a parent wanting to tell their kid that they're a little bit different? Yeah, I mean, I think the way it was handled for me is that I think my parents, given that I was a kid, wanted to make sure that I was trying to enjoy life as much as possible. And that I think to them, they felt like if they told it to me, like as early as uh, they did to me, you know, that, you know, I would feel like almost down on myself and like not knowing what to do and all that. I think like as I grew up and I became a little bit more mature and I could understand a little bit of things you know that's when like my parents felt like it was the right time to tell me and I, I really appreciated um their honest and transparency with me you know that they were watching from afar of like the things I was doing that to, uh, to me I, I I didn't realize what I was doing you know and that from them telling me from what they saw afar it helped me to kind of understand what exactly I've been dealing with you know what what were these challenges that you know, I was going through and like, you know, is this not something that I got to, you know, let it get in my head and, you know, keep going in life. I got to find a way to overcome that adversity. Right. So I, I think with all that, I, I think like if I had any advice for any parents, it's just really, it, to me, it's just, you know, whenever that a right time and that right moments comes, you know, whenever you feel like, you know, your child's ready to know exactly what he's been dealing with, you know, just be as honest and transparent to them as possible, you know, and be able to explain what exactly they've seen from afar of like the things you're doing so that, you know, it, it you can be able to get help sooner. You can be able to get help like as soon as possible. So that way you don't have to keep dealing this, uh, dealing with this the rest of your life. And so like, that would be one advice I would give to parents is just, you know, wait for the right time, the right moment to where, you know, they can be able to, um, they can be able to, you know, understand it a lot better. And that, that way, you know, they know what kind of help they need. <laughs> That's good advice. You know, my, I have two kids on the spectrum. One of them is uh, nonverbal, like very severe behaviors. But the other one is, I want to say like us, he's, you know, level one. He has less challenges and, he, you know, totally able to have conversations, very, very able to have conversations. And we were wondering uh, with his dad, like when is the best time uh, to tell him, you know, and uh, we got advice from a psychologist. And what she said was like, just tell him. You know, very simply, you know, your brain works a little bit differently. And this is why you're good at this. This is why you struggle with that. And, you know, really, like, don't make a big deal out of it, right? It's not, 
anything like the more you make a big deal out of it the more it's gonna make your child feel like you know oh like I'm, I'm i'm different and maybe like they're gonna start like second guessing it but really it's it's simple so i love the way you you explain that on to our next question or many so as you know by now because we've uh we've met a couple of times before i'm a big uh F1 fan and I don't know much about NASCAR I admit but I'm uh, wondering like how you got into interesting like professionally because you know it's a lot of kids dreams like you you talked about but like how did you make it like what was the first time like you got in a car and you were like I want to do this you know for a living and uh, how did you make it yeah I mean like kind of like what I explained it before, but I'll go even further. Um, there were times where, you know, my mom or dad, we, we would go to, you know, some amusement park somewhere, you know, just to have some fun and all that. And it, to me, if I ever saw a go-karting attraction that they had over there, that'd be the first thing I, I would want to go to, you know, even if I wouldn't tall enough to be able to drive it myself I just wanted to get that feeling of just being in a car and just like act like I'm going racing you know <laughs> so like it, it's just it, it was just one of the key things to where you know I started to grasp that love and passion for racing and that I, I wanted to be able to do it someday and so like I told my dad at like eight years old you know while we're watching a race that you know I wanted to be a professional race car driver and you know we didn't we didn't know exactly how this racing stuff uh went i mean you know my family never grew up racing anything but i will say like my great grandfather he owned a auto body shop in detroit you know and with cars comes mechanics so like they knew that kind of part of it but not actually racing so it's just like you know i think over time you know we had to learn along the way about the racing world and like you know how to keep climbing that ladder to get to where we want to be always try to talk to like a lot of people we can talk to you know and just tell them about my story and like what goals that i'm trying to accomplish you know and i think being in a unique position that like in the racing world there's not a lot of african-american drivers but there's not a whole lot of like drivers with disabilities either particularly when it comes to autism so like from there you know, we, we had something to where, you know, like we had something unique that we could grasp on that could give us the motivation to, you know, never give up and just keep grinding, keep working, you know, because like someday it will be possible, you know, and the fact that, you know, after like, you know, racing for 15, 16 years, so, you know, I'm, I can say that I'm driving in NASCAR and all that, everything that I would dream of as a kid, you know, is just, um, it, it, it's just been a dream come true and you know it's just you know I never would have thought it'd be possible without like you know the support of my parents and you know the people that always believed in me you know always uh thought that I could be successful you know and now that I'm here and you know right now I'm trying to take every advantage of it whatsoever you know because this is stuff that's like you know rare in racing you know and so you know I want to be able to be as successful at it as possible. No, that, that was awesome. So I have, going back to NASCAR, so here's what I know. Eileen likes F1. 
And in NASCAR, you make left turns. Okay, got that down. For yeah. those who don't know, for like me, can you tell us a little? I I seriously know nothing else other than that. Can you tell us about the like what's the difference between F one and NASCAR? I know that must sound like a really dumb question. <laughs> Well, no, no, not really. I mean, I've watched a little bit of F1, you know, like my, my one of my favorite drivers from the F1 is uh, Lewis Hamilton, you know, and uh, my dad always choked that like, you know, me and Lewis Hamilton almost uh, look alike per se, you know, so like, ever since that day, I always uh, cheered for Lewis Hamilton every time I watched the F1 race. But um, I will say the difference between say NASCAR and F1 is you know, like you mentioned, like the um, tracks that we race on, like in NASCAR, you know, we race on a lot of ovals where you're just making left turns, lap after lap after lap, you know, and we'll run some road courses that turn left and right, but not a ton. Whereas with like F1, you know, there there's road courses from all over the world that they race on, you know, no ovals whatsoever, you know. Um, but I will say, you know, like the vehicles that, you know, we as drivers in NASCAR have to drive versus like what what it is in F1 is totally different. You know, like with F1, it's the open wheels, you know, and the cars are not necessarily heavy. They're pretty light. So you can pretty much maneuver around, especially with how fast those cars for, are going, you know, like they got, you know, 700, 800 horsepower, but they need to have the maneuverability to turn left and right, you know, so with a lighter car, it could do that. Whereas with NASCAR, you know, our, our cars weigh like 3,400 pounds. We can't maneuver as easy as a F1 car, you know? So like us drivers, we're always inside a cockpit, even on like a hot day racing out there, just, you know, muscling the car as much as you can, you know, cause it, it's just, the car doesn't maneuver as easy, you know? So whenever you commit to a line, whenever you commit to the brake and the gas, you know, that's just your one move and that's it. And you got to try and figure out how to make it work, you know? And so like, just as far as like vehicles and the style of racing at, you know, it's definitely a, a 180 difference between the two. It's making me want to check out NASCAR. I probably should, should now that I live in America. I feel like that's, you know, I feel like NASCAR is like the American thing and like F1, I mean, you know, I, I grew up in France, in Europe and like F1 yeah. was so big there. Um, and it's only making its way to the U.S., I feel like, since the Netflix show Drive to Survive. Um, but yeah, I definitely will check out NASCAR. I'm kind of excited now. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, you know, and what part of what made me want to, I, I, I should have added this as well, like part of me that wanted to watch F1 a little bit more was um, my dad told me about this uh, other documentary with uh, Ayrton Senna called uh, Senna. And, you know, it's a credible documentary of like a, probably one of the greatest F1 drivers, you know, to ever race a car. And, you know, it's just hearing about a story and what F1 was really like at the time. It's just, it made me want to watch it a little bit more, you know? So that's kind of how I wanted to, you know, see F1 races more, more, more after watching stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. It's a great documentary. And I mean, yeah, Senna, I was, I was very young when he passed away, but still, like, I remember that's uh, 
very yeah. sad uh, destiny he had. And, you know, honestly, like watching those races from like back in the days wasn't even that long ago, all things considered, but the cars are so different now from then, you know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. just like even like six, seven years ago, like now, you know, we have the hello for protection. I mean, when I say we, I mean F1 drivers. Yeah. Uh, things like that, you know, things are changing so fast in these sports and it's, yeah, really cool. Uh, I was wondering, and that's not a question I even had planned for you, but like, you know, when you get into like, uh, you know, let's say NASCAR, because that's what you're in, do you have to learn about like mechanics, like how the car works? Like, do you understand like how the car works from the inside? Like, if that makes sense, like, do you have to learn all about the car itself? Well, you know, as a race car driver, you want to learn a little bit about the mechanics, but I think you want to learn more about the behavior of the car, you know, just how exactly this car goes, you know, at like how does it move things of that nature, you know, cause every race car is going to be different, you know, no matter which you go in, you know, you get to, you know, lighter, faster cars, and then you get to, you know, heavy cars to even faster cars. So they're going to behave like a certain way. Um, I will say as far as like, you know, learning how to work the steering wheel, gas pedal, and brakes. Like, I, I kind of already knew that from, like, my times of going to the go-kart attraction. So, like, I kind of knew that part spot on. So, like, you know, having to do that in competition wasn't really, like, a big hurdle for me. Like, I think once I got into, you know, bigger cars to where, you know, I had to shift, you know, basically go through the gears, you know, that that was a, a interesting learning process that, I had to go through because beforehand, you know, like I raced go-karts and, you know, uh, Bandolero type cars, and we never had to shift whatsoever. You know, you just press on the gas and go. Whereas, you know, in the real time, you know, like there's a lot of work you have to do in the car. You've got a clutch, you know, you've got gears and, right. you know, when you reach a certain RPM, you got to know like when exactly to, you know, get up, get up a gear or get down a gear, you know? So it's just, those are, those are stuff that like, I had to try and learn, especially because like before I had to go to that, you know, my dad decided that I should go to, you know, a, you know, driving school to where they teach you how to shift. And so that's kind of how I first started learning how to do it. And then to try to apply it to racing, you know, eventually I started figuring out the gist and like the steps on what to do, you know, and from there it just became a lot easier, you know, so like as a race car driver, like, it's more about learning the behavior of the car, you know, what exactly have you do inside the cockpit than more so learning the entire mechanics of the car. You know, that's right. why you got that. That's why you got teams of engineers that can, you know, understand all that stuff. But, you know, as a race car driver, you want to learn a little bit more about it. So at least, you know, what you're feeling inside the car. So that makes sense. Yeah. And did you have to, overcome like any stereotypes uh with driving anything related to your autism or not like do you have any funny stories or situation where like things didn't go as planned and like how you handled it wow that's a good question but i will say with like you know autism because we have this special ability to be laser like focused on things that interest us. I don't think it wasn't really much of a stereotype or much of a challenge because, you know, every day in racing happens so fast. I mean, we're going 180, 190 miles per hour, you know? So like 
every everything's moving like so fast, you know, that you got to have a high level of concentration. So with me having autism, you know, I had a tremendous advantage there. Um, I will say, I think like at least the challenges, I think if anything, it was just so small. Like, I think it's just um, had one time where, you know, I made my first ever NASCAR Craftsman truck series start at a track in St. Louis, Missouri called Gateway, you know, and we were making a pit stop during the race, you know, and it's my very first race. So at the end of the day, like I had to just make sure like I was there at the finish, you know, not tear the truck up or anything. So we make a pit stop, you know, and, you know, I got the truck revving ready to go. And then next thing you know, like, you know, I try to take off and I think I'm all good. And then I just, I stalled the thing. You know, and it's just like in my own mind, like I wanted to be so upset with myself because it's like it's such a simple thing. And like I'm a pro is something I should not do things in that nature. You know, I'm just glad nobody caught that on TV, though. That would have been even more <laughs> embarrassing, you know, but uh, I, I think like in moments like that, I mean, because like. Yeah, you, you have realistic expectations in terms of like how you're going to go in the races, because like in this uh, in this case fact that the whole goal was just to try and finish the race, you know, like I had to just make sure I stay incredibly calm knowing that like I have a team behind me that's going to do whatever they can to, you know, help get me out there, you know, and eventually we were able to get the truck back out there. And, you know, I finished 21st that night, so I could have gotten the top 20, but, you know, it's just, I, I always think to like, man, if I could have just not stalled a truck, like we would have definitely been top 20 for sure, especially with, how the end of that race goes. I mean, there was, you know, drivers getting into one another, laying the going because it's like, it's go time. They're trying to go for the win. Right. You know, and we were able to avoid all that, you know, and man, we just came one spot short of just my first ever top 20 finish in a, um, my first ever truck race, you know? So it was just one of those moments where it's just like, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you take what you can in terms of things you did well and things that you didn't do well, you know, and, that and think of like what things can I do to improve that you know so those are one of those moments so. you're Eileen he's not our first NASCAR driver right or we've had at least one or two other professional drivers right yeah the other driver who's also on a spectrum right because everyone on our podcast is on the spectrum uh but he's not he wasn't in nascar he was in the mazda series um yeah austin varco is his name yeah yeah i remember you know him. austin yeah uh me him and then there's a uh, another one uh in there as well with uh bobby trunley he does like the sports car things in europe as well in the uk supposedly I remember I, I met him when um, we were living in the COVID world, you know, COVID year 2020. And, um, you know, uh, they invited me to this um, team that um, that was a sports cars team that where it was full of like, you know, disability, passionate, you know, uh, engineers and drivers. They invited me to be part of this uh, virtual 24 hours of Le Mans that we were going to participate in, you know, and that's when I, I met Austin and the rest of the folks. And, uh, you know, just, I'm, I was glad to know that like, you know, I'm not the only one in the racing world with autism that's going out there to make a difference. You know, there's guys like, you know, Austin out there, you know, who's, uh, you know, getting it done on the track, you know, so it was great to be involved with those guys. 
No, I, th that's awesome. Yeah, no, I was just thinking, like, do you think that there's, um, you know, any correlation or just that there's, you know, hey, if 2% of the world has autism that, you know, hey, it's bound that, you know, there's probably some NASCAR drivers who do, right? So, or yeah. some drivers, right? So probably everywhere we look, just some are more public facing than others, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's great that, great to see when, there's other people related to you that's going out there and trying to be able to accomplish something, be successful at something as you are, you know, even if it's in like a different form of racing yet, you know, like they're, you know, they're living their dreams and, you know, having fun doing it. And that's what it's all about. You know, it's just find something that you're passionate about and have fun doing it, you know, because if not like, you know, why do in the first place? So it's nice to see guys like Austin, you know, out there hitting it on the track. Awesome. Yeah. No, I'm glad to see you guys as someone who loves racing. It's it's good to see uh, the next generation being so passionate about advocacy. Um, speaking of, I know you're very passionate about being an autism advocate and helping other kids and you know, honestly, maybe adults um, who want to like fulfill their dream and all of that. And I'm wondering if you've had any experience with how divided the autism community can be online like did you face any uh, criticism have you seen any of the like controversies and if so how do you feel about it i don't think there was much criticism or much uh division in terms of like you know what what people would say about me uh, like i think it was more heartwarming people found it like inspiring and something unique and intriguing you know and you know i get a lot of fans that were uh supportive of that you know like particularly through social media you know like i got many followers who you know are really every parent that follows me that have some connection with autism like you know their son or daughter you know has autism or like they they know a friend or you know like uh another family member of theirs that has uh, autism you know and be able to tell me all these stories and things that they're going through. Yeah. I, I think in, in this one particular case, um, you know, there was this parent that, you know, reached out to me, you know, that was uh, telling me uh, about, you know, her kid for say, and like how, you know, every year they try to throw a uh, birthday party for him. And yet, you know, the problem was is that nobody would show up to his birthday. You know, and so like it, it made me feel bad for the kid, you know, because you, you want to have people out there that, you know, support you in big moments like this, especially a birthday. Right. And, you know, she had uh, asked me to possibly write a letter to, uh, you know, her son to give him some encouragement. But then, like, you know, she also followed up with, you know, asking me if I wanted to be able to call call the kid like FaceTime him just so like, you know, I can chat with him, you know, and just have some fun with him, you know? And so I took it upon myself to make sure that I made her son stay, especially on her birthday, you know? And um, I did. And I mean, you know, it's just, he was probably eight or nine years old at a time. And it's just hearing what he had to go through. And it's just like, I just wanted to make that kid happy. You know, someone who's related with related to me with autism, you know, it was important that like, you know, I, I gave that kid hope, you know, I gave him some positive encouragement, you know, to continue moving forward, you know, and let him and remind him that like these moments are 
moments that you you should enjoy you know that you should remember for a long time you know and so like i i always try to you know be able to connect with those folks and just to help them understand that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel you know and that we can all share this world uh, just like everybody else and be able to make a positive impact on society you know it, it doesn't matter you know if we have autism and no matter how different we are you know that we can be successful at anything that we try to set our mind to, you know, and it's mm -hmm. just a matter of like finding what exactly that is and just, you know, push to achieve your dream. So, you know, it's just, it's just something that like, you know, I, I feel like it's my responsibility to re remind people that all the time to just never give up and just, you know, live, uh, live life to the fullest with autism you know, understand that it's a strength, not a weakness. That's so kind of you. I love that you did that for that kid. I'm sure it meant the world to him. So yeah, yeah. that's really good. So you said that autism is a strength for you. Um, what's uh, your favorite part of uh, of being a, a NASCAR driver? Do you think uh, your autism is helping you in, in any way? Yeah, I believe so. I think that the one thing I enjoy about uh, racing is that uh, I get to go fast. You know, like I, I always felt like as a kid, I, I wanted to be good and fast at something. And, you know, racing was just uh, one way of like helping me achieve that. I, I mean, again, it's just like, you know, while while normal people can be interested in so many things uh, with autism, it's just different. It's like wh whatever catches our eye, you know, it, it stays there. We we stay locked in on whatever interested, whatever that we get interested in and that we want to learn more about it, you know, and to be a part of it, right? You know, and so with me, with, with me having autism, you know, I just found racing as something that could just keep my interest up. And then especially when I'm in the race car, you know, I just, I never think of anything else. I'm just laser focused on, you know, making sure I go out there and get the job done, understand what exactly I need to do, you know, and understand uh, what, what moves I'm going to make uh, during races from start to finish, you know, so it's just having that kind of ability that, you know, autism has, so it really does help me with racing. So one of the things that I'm familiar with, too, is that there are lots of people with autism who don't drive um who maybe it's harder to drive for you it's you know it's what you're good at what you excel at so do you have any thoughts on maybe why you know so many individual autism either don't drive it's harder to drive they drive later and maybe are there some things they can do to help overcome that yeah that's an interesting question I I mean, to me, because like I started driving at a young age, you know, it was just a smooth, easy transition for me, you know, so I kind of knew, you know, how exactly to drive. It was just a matter of just like staying in, in control. And I think with, with like when it comes to driving cars, you know, it's just one of those things that, yeah, you know, it's in something you see in everyday life. But, you know, it's just it's one that, you know, really you, you can't mess around. You know, it's like there there's a risk for you know, things to happen, like somebody could get hurt in a crash, you know, uh, some things could happen in a car, things of that nature, you know, and I think like for people with autism, I, I think it's just, I think mainly what they need to just um, 
learn about driving. It's just being being able to try to stay stay within your control and just to relax for a little bit. You know, like I think with 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 driving, it can be something that like it it may scare some people or or make things stressful because it's like you know you want to make sure you're doing everything right. You know, you want to make sure you're protecting yourself and others. You know, so I would say. The main thing is just to make sure you stay in control and just relax, you know, like go to the driving school and just make sure you you listen to every word the instructor tells you to do, you know, and just like practice it like all the time, every day, you know, as many hours as possible so that eventually that whatever is uncomfortable to you about driving becomes comfortable you know, and then you can be able to relax and, you know, be able to go where you want to go without having that level of stress or scare that something might happen, you know, that you believe that, you know, hey, I can drive, I can drive a car, you know, I can believe I can, you know, drive this car, you know, at a level in which everybody else does on the road, you know, so it's just, it's just that repetition, that practice, and just making sure you stay controlling yourself and just relax and you know from there it should be able to help you know those people with autism that you know struggle with trying to learn how to drive uh, is the advice I would give it's it's so hard to relax I mean I remember when I was younger and I was trying to get my license in France everyone had their license and there's something I struggled with so much it's in France we have a lot of pigeon is that how you say like those birds and Oh. I would uh, stop the car to let them cross the street because I was so scared I was going to run over them, right? Yeah. And my the driving instructor, like, sitting next to me would always, like, go crazy. He was like, no, they're going to fly away. You can't just stop the car because that's so dangerous with the people, like, behind you, you know? And yeah. I've noticed, like, even here in the U.S., it's not so much birds, but, like, squirrels. They're, like, everywhere uh, around. Oh, me. yeah. We, we like, get a lot of squirrels around so here hard. all the time, yeah. Yeah, it's yes. so hard not to like just like slam on the brake but I know it's dangerous but to me like that was one of the hardest thing like to just learn like it's okay the birds are gonna fly away just like relax it's gonna happen don't like break unexpectedly you know um I don't do that anymore but it's it's hard um so yeah don't worry people if you're listening the birds will fly away hopefully and the squirrels too well they're not gonna fly but <laughs> Although I've heard I did I've heard squirrels uh, fly before and yet I I still don't believe yeah. that uh, theory because so, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, some of them have like wings are like bats. Yeah, I've yeah. heard of those. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you some uh, quick fire questions now. You basically just tell me the first answer that comes to your mind. But right before, I want you to tell people where they can find you on social media and if there's anything you want to promote or like it's totally open for self-promotion right now. Yeah, so uh, for people who want to follow me, you, you can follow me on all social media platforms, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just go to uh, Armani Williams or Team Armani Racing there. Or if you want to know a little more about me, about my racing and what I do for autism, go to www.teamarmaniracing.com and, and you'll find uh, more bio about me as well as like, you know, the things we do to help give back to the autism community with like my foundation with Race for Autism, you know, and 
just things that we do in the community to, you know, help create awareness, inclusion, you know, and hope for autism, you know, so be able to just please be able to check out all those things out. Super. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm sure you'll get some uh, some follows from this. Um, okay, before we go, I want to ask you those quick fire questions. You just tell me the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. You ready? Yes. Let's do Favorite it. car. Mustang. Would you drive a French car if your life depended on it? <laughs> I mean, hey, if I if I if I was trying to get out of somewhere and I was looking for a car, if it has to be a French car, I, I'll take it. <laughs> Even if I'm not familiar with it, I, I'll be able to figure out and make it work. <laughs> <laughs> I may I add some of off. these questions before Eileen has a chance to look at them. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, I've seen like the Alfa, Alfa Romeos, the Ferraris. Hey, that's an Italian car. Don't do no, do not mix those two. Do not, do, not, do, not, do not do that. I'm, I'm an sorry. Alfa Romeo fan. You can't my, do that my, to me. My my fan. My fan. <laughs> Thank you. About your favorite food. Steak. Solid answer. Favorite music to pump you up before a race? Uh, rock music. Favorite band or a singer? Oh boy, <laughs> I've listened to a lot. Um, I will. I will say the the one band that will pump me up the most is uh, a band called uh, Breaking Benjamin. Yeah, I mean, they had some good songs from back in the day when I I was a child, you know, and I always loved uh, listening to them, like because they would always uh, create a lot of great songs back then. <laughs> so I would listen to those that band sometimes just to get me fired up in some way. And your favorite Fast and Furious movie, if you've seen them. Oh yeah, I've seen a ton. Um. I can't remember which Fast and Furious it was, but it's um, there's this uh, scene that happens in the end where it's like, you know, um, Finn Diesel is going to go out for a drive. And I think, you know, a car pulls up next to him and it's. Um, golly, I know his name, but I can't figure out um, Chris something. Right. And I because I, I think like the year before he passed away due to a car accident, you know, and they show that scene. With him, with him driving his car next to him, you know, I think it was like Fast and Furious seven or eight, you know, like so I, that right somewhere around there. That that's my favorite Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> I I love that movie. Well, Arani, thank you so much for joining us today. It was so great speaking with you. Yeah, for sure. You know, I appreciate you having me on. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you.